Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for Grief Recovery Now podcast. So happy and grateful you are here today, wherever you are in the world. We are grateful. We're here for you. You who are sitting in your bedroom, on your bed, under the covers, you who are just walking and listening on your AirPods or on your phone and just in a place of being. Something told you to listen to this podcast, whether you are a subscriber who listens to every single podcast or this is your first time. Also, if someone had referred it to you, I think your friend and there are no mistakes. This is a new year. We're at the very end of December of 2021. And in the next couple of days, we're going to be in January of 2022. And wherever and whenever you listen to this, just know that a new year can start anytime. New intentions, new action plan. Just know that you could start all over again. Even if you've skinned some knees and somehow you're not sure if you're doing it right. Am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? I know myself, I have that. I'm doing something wrong in life. I'm not doing grief right. I'm not doing happiness right. I'm not doing my life right. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not sure. But does maybe grief have something to do with it? with this sadness, depression, um, not wanting to get up in the morning, not feel, you know, at one time being so enthused about life, and then you're not. Maybe there are some losses that have occurred, either quickly in business, with your family, with a friend, estrangement, uh, animal that may have passed on, or going through the last stages of life, or having to make a big decision, even giving an animal away because of some circumstances that are going on. There's over 40 plus reasons that we can grieve. And we're here for you at Grief Recovery Now podcast to end in my grief recovery work to help you just explore it. I think grief is a topic that people aren't quite, they know what it is. They think they know what it is. They sort of know what it is. And so we're here and my guests are here to just share what we've learned and why we've decided to dedicate our life to grief recovery. So happy new year to everyone, whether it is the end of December, you're listening to this will be coming out early January. So happy new year for sure. And again, if you're listening to this in February, March, April, May, June, July, and so on, just know you can have a new year's every day to start anew with new intentions and a new action plan. Again, so happy you're with us today. And I'd like to introduce our guest today, Katie Greer. She's an advanced grief recovery specialist. She was born with a desire to support others. Katie often found herself in a helper roles throughout childhood. Upon college graduation, her empathy paired perfectly with a passion for physiology, venturing into the medical field. In 2016, tragedy struck when her four-year-old daughter drowned on a family vacation. Years of self-medicating, isolation, anger, and sorrow held her joy captive. Katie battled grief until experiencing support in new avenues, accepting grief as the natural and normal response to loss. One of the biggest shifts she knows was in the grief recovery method. The method aligned with her heart so deeply, she went to become a certified advanced grief recovery specialist. Her mission to support others is clear. Katie encourages her clients to be emotionally honest and vulnerable in a safe place. 
Katie has since founded the Satellite Project, focusing on grief education and resides in the Pacific Northwest with her husband and son. Katie, welcome. We're so happy you're here today. Hi, Charlene. Thank you so much for having me. I have to tell you, I've been watching your TikTok videos <laughs> and on Instagram. If anybody has a desire to or or gets a TikTok, I think you can get it mostly on Facebook and Instagram. It is, I don't want to say hilarious, but the way you do it, you're not you're not quite sure what she's talking about, but she talks about grief and grief recovery and all kinds of things related to grief. And I just resonated with you so much when I observed your TikTok videos. And I said, I want her on Grief Recovery Now podcast. She's absolutely what we are all about. As you know, before we started recording, I said what we talk about. We talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Mm. And Katie, besides being a grief recovery specialist, and there's always something that gets you in the grief recovery work. And mine was my mom and dad who they died. My dad died when I was 16. My mother died when I was 29. And I had to grieve things that were decades old. And your grief process took a some years, I think it was two to four years of grief of losing your daughter. So it can happen when it's 30, 40, even 60 years ago to more current grief and who get into this life mission. What was your life like before all of this? Before grief? Yes. <laughs> I know you've had grief in your life. We all have had it. But this is something that knocked you, your whole world apart, blew it up. Yeah. It, this one, this loss was monumental. And it affects everything. Every belief that I had had leading up to was completely changed. And even coming down to what kind of parent I was. And I, before this, I think that I was already developing what we call in grief recovery as disturbs to manage past grief. And I found myself in, in a natural state, I would say as a mother, and I was a stay at home mom at the time and things felt content and then grief struck and I battled hard with it, trying to fight it, fight it off because I couldn't control it. And I think that I'm a natural type A perfectionist who wanted to find ways to mitigate this out of control feeling, the complexity and the conflicting emotions that grief hit me with. And let's tell, let's say what STURBS is. Yeah. S-T-E-R-B-S. Mm -hmm. Short-term. Yeah, go ahead. No, you can go. <laughs> Short-term energy relieving behaviors. And John James developed that and uh, the founder of Grief Recovery. And it's basically, if you want to water it down or talk about it in other terms, is our coping mechanisms. And they can be healthy activities such as exercise, but I like to tell my clients and my friends that I talk to about grief, it's our intention behind why we are doing the actions or the activities that we're doing. Mine became alcohol and it was a heavy hitter. Even before my daughter died, trying to manage a household with two young children was very difficult. And this mommy culture of it's five o'clock somewhere you know, kind of came into play as well. And after Marissa died, it was something that I was already familiar with. So I think that around six to eight months later, I found myself just trying to numb everything because I didn't know how else to, to cope with this grief. Yes. And I love what you said that you were using short-term energy relieving behaviors, STURBS, even before that. Mm -hmm. And I know myself, I did too, even before my parents died, based on what I learned about what grief really is and how to recover, yes. how to be in recovery and live in recovery. And we can talk about that a little later. So tell me about growing up. 
What were some of the losses you've had that maybe wasn't as impactful, but were significant? They're all significant, whether whatever degree they were in. But your daughter, which is someone you bore through your very being and loved and the way she died was devastating with all caps, Mm -hmm. with exclamation points, about a thousand of them. And before that, tell me about your life before that. So my parents are together and they had explored some different job opportunities. And I think that the one in 1997 was, or six time runs together, um, was a heavy hitter because my dad had gone and take another job um, out of state and it left our family trying to pick up the pieces and get back together again. But that was a really life-changing time period for me being a, a young adult, a teenager coming of age, if you will. And I found myself trying to find ways to cope with that. And, um, the be strong for others was, um, a myth that I fully, I fully encompassed. And so I would back burner my own emotions in order to be present for my mom and my other siblings and, friends would ask questions and you tried to keep it all together. But as a 12, 13 year old girl, that's a lot to ask. I also had a dog die when I was only 10, I believe. And the replace the loss, that myth came, came around too. I think that I got another dog not long after, I want to say a few months I had wanted one, but naturally we are told to replace it. And I remember people using that same idea after my daughter died. Well, you could have another child. And I'm thinking, well, I have another child. We not long after got another dog and the myth of replacing the loss was very evident there. We, not that I recall had a funeral for it. Um, I remember driving home with my dad in the car and it was raining and being really distraught and crying, I think for days. And when we got the, uh, the new dog, it's, it's not that the new dog was less exciting, but I still hadn't really dealt with the, the loss of, of our first dog. And so, and I think that this is a, a really prominent loss that a lot of children come into contact with. And we chalk it up to, we knew that the dog wasn't going to live very long. Uh, This is to be expected, natural occurrence of life. And while all of that is so true, it does not take into account the children's ability to process the emotion. Um, And that also became evident when when my daughter Marissa died, people were asking me, oh, well, you can have another child. Or are you going to have another child? And in my mind, my family was complete. I didn't need another child. I understood what they were asking, but it would not have made any type of difference to the fact that she was already dead. Right. And just for our listeners here saying you can replace the loss does not help. And there's so many well-meaning people who love you who are just at a loss for words. So if you want to learn more about grief recovery and how to talk to a griever, you know, we have all kinds of information. So please look at grief recovery method. You can look at uh, my work, listen to the podcast. You'll learn so much how to talk to someone in grief and even about your own grief. And going back to children, I know you're certified to how to talk to children about, about grief. Mm -hmm. Could you have any tidbits or tips with parents? Just a little side note here as a certified grief recovery specialist, how, what would be a tip for people right now who have to talk to children about a loss? Certainly. So children are natural born curious beings, which I love. Uh, When my daughter died, my son had tons of questions that I had to field from the age of two and a half up until he's eight right now. And the narrative has to remain the same, uh, giving the information, the factual information and elaborating as the child gets older is extremely important. 
they will continue to ask the questions to confirm that the answers don't change. They like concrete. They like black and white. It's so important for their own developmental stage to be honest with them. You can model that with your own behavior and your own interactions with other people and how you're grieving yourself, locking yourself away behind a closed door. When they know that you're sad, they're extremely intuitive that won't serve them. All that they will see is if I'm sad, I need to go lock myself behind a closed door and lock everyone out. Sometimes that serves a purpose. I will say, however, it is so important to talk about why you are sad and the sadness is not bad. I try to reiterate that with my son that you can have, we call it the emotion box. You can have so many different emotions that are conflicting, that are confusing. You don't need to know where they're coming from, but you can acknowledge them and have all of these emotions live in the emotion box together and let them go as they may, but that they can live in that space. So for parents and educators, I also encourage them to let the child lead the conversation. They are so curious that if you hold that space for them, get down on their level, sometimes even physically lowering your body so that you're not overbearing them and ask them, do you have any questions? And if they don't, that's fine. You don't need to pry open the desire that might not even be there. But if they do and you continue to open that gate, and say, I'm here for you, then they may might even say, yeah, actually, I've got a question now and meet them right where they are at. And if they have a question, you answer it honestly. Yes. And can you say death? A lot of people say, oh, he's, he's with God now. God needed him. Or they passed away. And they're not sure. Or like you said, be black and white. Do you recommend saying they died? Yes, I do. It is so important that you use the word died and death and remove your own concern or fear around it. Do your own work so that you can be real about this word. It is the fact of life, but it is so imperative that that word is part of the vocabulary. If you say they're sleeping or they've gone to heaven Heaven can doesn't really mean anything necessarily if that is your belief, because if you go somewhere, such as a trip, you come back, you return. That is not the case with death. So giving that black and white answer is is a big deal. And I even felt that when you know I was 31 when when my daughter died, and the doctor who came to us didn't even say the word she died or she, the words death did not even come out of his mouth. It was, we were unsuccessful in reviving her or something along those lines. And I remember pushing him aside and sprinting past trying to go fix it because I'm mom, I'm supposed to be the one to help her and to, to serve that being of to, to be present and to, um, and to, and to help her support her. And when he didn't use the word died, even for me, who was a grown woman could not break past that shock barrier and realize what was transpiring in my mind. It, it, he was wrong or he didn't understand what was going on because he didn't give me those finite words. Right. And even I think of all the reasons we can grieve and sometimes it's bypassed. Now we got into children. We didn't plan on talking about children and grief and how to talk to people. It's even we sort of, we had to take a break because there was some noise in our recording, but we talked about the fish dies and throwing them in the toilet and that's it. Let's get some more fish. You may think it's an insignificant thing or even, I remember having a hamster die. That was it. It was like, oh, he died. And that was it. We never talked about it. Never talked about grief. Never talked about the finite and just life in general. So you may think it's nothing and it's uncomfortable for families and parents and loved ones to talk about a death and being the one to communicate it. So part of our mission is to be able to help people talk about it so we can go on with our lives with some 
little bit of closure and understanding instead of this free floating anxiety, you're not sure what's going on. And we talked earlier about myths that go on, you know, don't talk about it. Let them, one of our founders talked about his grandfather died and no one talked about it afterwards. That was it. And he was very close to him. So he never got to sort of talk about him. No one talked about him. And that was it. He died and he had another relative besides having his grandfather who he loved. I believe it was his grandfather. He had another loved one that was close to the family who he didn't like that much. And he never really got to talk about that or resolve, you know, to really get honest about the emotions that go with death. There's loved ones and then there's unloved ones. They're both very important. It could be an abuser that maybe has passed away that you never got to finish the conversation or got resolved about things. So it's all kinds of things, right, Katie? Oh, totally. The less than loved one is a big one. I feel like people want to create boxes, even with grief. And that beautiful quote that says, grief is just love with nowhere to go is applicable, but not to every situation. And I really caution my loved ones to refrain from using that because it does not meet everyone's, it doesn't show up well. It does not meet to where their, someone else's grief could live because it, there were, (laughs) there was no love. There was frustration and anger and that incomplete grief that, that we talk about. Yeah. So let's get back to your daughter passed. And it was something that happened so quickly. So you can you give us a scenario so we can envision? I'm an, a visual person. And while you're going to talk audible, you were in Mexico on a vacation. We were. Just living the life, right? And can you talk about us? you walking on the beach with? Of course. So we scheduled a trip to Cabo San Lucas. And there was something about the trip to me that did not even resonate very well, but we were invited by some really great friends of ours. And so we went leaving our son behind to stay with family because he was only two and a half. I didn't feel comfortable traveling with him to another country with him at that age. And so we took our daughter, Marissa, and the other family had three children and the other mother and I took our four kids collectively down on the beach that Um, meets up with the very bottom of the Cape down there where you cannot swim in the water because it is really dangerous. And it was a beautiful afternoon and we were walking along the beach. I had Marissa's hand in mine and another little girl in my other hand and a wave came up and hit my stomach, but dropping us all to our bottoms because of the impact. And then the sand down there I like to describe it as marbles. We live in Oregon and the sand here is more, (laughs) I was going to say more like sand, but it's, it's just, it's dense. And there it was, um, you could not get traction once it got wet and the, another wave came up and went over our heads and swept us out to sea. Uh, the other girl was rescued and is alive. And both Marissa and I were pulled out and under, uh, and I lost her hand at one point because of the different currents that, that pulled us in different directions. And I thought I was going to die. I remember looking up to what I could only see was darkness and just thinking, this is how I'm going to die and being so scared for Marissa because I'm her mother. I'm her protector, her shield against everything bad. She was only four years old and I failed. And so we were all pulled out of uh, the water and rescued into boats and went over to the hospital where I sat until my husband was able to come and join us because he was not in the water. He had to watch from the beach, from the shore and Uh, with the other father. And I can only begin to imagine the fear that he felt. And just, we had such different experiences and both being so different in their own grief, but we can touch on that later. And when we were back into the hospital, like I said, I, I remember the doctor not saying anything. And I was in a soaked bathing suit with a soaked cover up and sitting by myself until my husband arrived. And when the doctor came into the room, 
I pushed past him and I ran. I don't even know how I found the room that she was in. I think that maybe some nurses were pointing and because, you know, you also have a language barrier. And so I ran over there and I got up on the gurney and I scooped her up into my arms and started smacking her back because I was just trying to get her to breathe again. And I remember my husband saying, what are you doing? You're hurting her. And he is in tears and his body just slides down the wall and just as a loss. And I remember just saying, I'm trying to get her to breathe because as mom, that's my responsibility. I'm, I'm helping her. I need to support her. I need to bring her back and who else better to do that than her mom. Yes. Mm -hmm. So absolutely sad that you had to experience this this loss. That's just, it was devastating beyond like, there are no words. No, I, I, I can't even imagine. And I'm a loss for words for you, even though I, every time I hear about it, I, my heart goes out to you now to get the next question is, okay, you're on your way home. Mm. What's the first couple months? Like even the first month (laughs) you, I can't even say you, I can only speak in first person. Personally, I don't even know how I made it through those first few months. I remember laying in her bed all throughout the day, moving basically from the couch downstairs to her bedroom upstairs and Googling how to survive child loss. And I had some really incredible family and friends that came to our rescue when we first arrived home um, getting in the car at the airport with that empty car seat, you know, I, I still have visions of that and driving home and our entire house was filled with flowers and our freezers were stocked with all this frozen food and casseroles. And it had only been 24 hours. And I just remember first off being so very honored that people reached out. And secondly, what in the world is happening? That shock factor stayed around for, for weeks, if not months. And I know that that's a protective way that our bodies can cope with, with such a intense and magnificent loss that your body has to kind of go into this protective zone. And people were so wonderful in coming to, um, to our aid. And, uh, you know, we had GoFundMe accounts that were incredible. The news, not so great. <laughs> they, they were not as helpful. Um, and when our information hit, you know, the, the waves of the, the, the news was, was broadcasted, people were cruel and really painting me out to be this horrific mother that should not have let her daughter run along the beach in such a dangerous zone. And in my mind, I'm like, you're so, you don't even know, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I think that through, I mean, kind of fast forwarding, but through grief recovery, I've learned to, I've learned to understand that people won't understand and to find a lot of peace in that and to give grace and forgiveness. Uh, But getting back to those first few months, I think that your body is just surviving and lots of chest pain and physiological changes. Yeah. We talk about the physical. Did you get sick? Um, Did you, any accidents or anything like that? The accidents I think even came later. I remember hitting a post trying to get drive through coffee, but I didn't go anywhere for a long time. I, I didn't even want to go into the grocery store because we live in a small town where a lot of people knew, I would not say everyone, obviously, but a lot of people knew. And so when, when they'd see me, they'd stop me and lovingly want to offer support. And all I wanted was eggs and milk <laughs> to run home. Oh, talk to me. Yeah. And so a, a quick grocery store run would quickly expand into an hour and a half of people stopping me and, and how, how beautiful and how supportive And at the same time, I did not have the courage in myself to say, I really appreciate you right now, but I got to go. And and so I think that over time and through grief recovery, I have gained a lot more confidence in respecting my grief and what those boundaries mean 
that I didn't know then because it wasn't taught to me. It wasn't, it wasn't explained. It wasn't explored. It was not, it didn't exist in my life. Right. And I know I only want to talk about you because I want to respect your husband. How was it being a couple? Because people get affected marriages. Mm-hmm. You can only speak for yourself, but did you guys were, were operating on two different lanes or did it bring you closer or farther apart at that period? Cause I know you're married and all that kind of stuff. How was yes. that for you? Certainly. So we had been together for like 11 years by that time. And I think in the beginning we were really able to meet each other where we were. And then there became a time where I pushed away. I pushed away from everyone and I wanted nothing to do with people (laughs) because it felt either superficial or I just didn't have the energy to devote to others. And, you know, some friendships were, were morphed or lost and some have survived it. But with my husband, the communication had to change. And so we started exploring ways that we could communicate and show up for each other. And I think that that's still an ongoing effort and it probably always will be with every marriage as it, as it should. You're navigating anyway through yes. <laughs> one day at a time, but then added something like this with so, as you know, grief recovery gets in the nooks and crannies of it. We don't know Mm-mm. how we operate and we all have our own personal experiences and it could be so different Yours is different than mine. Even if two people lost a child the same way. Yes. Oh, so much. So it's like a fingerprint. And I feel like you grieve how you live. I am an extroverted person. I think by nature who likes to process verbally, my husband is very reserved who processes internally. And so to collaborate those two and respect where the other person is at without jumping to assumptions has been quite the navigation course. And I think just truly creates a new way, a foundation of communication. Doesn't it? Cause we all have hallucinations on what the other person may be feeling, thinking, and it gets, I don't care how healthy you are. We're all human beings, vulnerable. You know, you can have the most solid relationship. I remember I was listening to Brene Brown. I don't know if this People know who she is. Look her up. B-R-E-N-E Brown. She's just awesome. She is like one of the most evolved people out there, right? She talks about shame, vulnerability, and all that. One time, her and her husband, great marriage. They're at the beach, and she's feeling insecure about her body. They've been married 30 years, right? So she's changed, and you know, young bodies are all over the place. She's feeling totally insecure. She feels like he's sort of not paying attention or thinking her body's terrible. And she reacted to that. And he said, I'm having a horrible time and I'm afraid about things at work and his life. He had nothing to do with what she was coming from, the filter that she walks through. And we all walk through filters. Our job is to like, how do we clear the way the, the many levels of filters? Yeah. So, and we take things personally. Is there ever a time that you've took something personal? Your, your husband may have said during this time of loss, how long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what? I know my fiance. I'll like have this. Now we say, I have a hallucination that you may be feeling this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's, it's stories that you're telling yourself based on your own perspective. Yes. And I like the way that you touched on the reaction. We, if you walk through a filter of, of incomplete grief or incomplete relationships that you have not addressed from anything from the past, doesn't need to be romantically involved. If you come to a new relationship, you're going to bring pieces of that. If you did not complete the conflicting emotions that you experienced years ago and react accordingly based on your own insecurities. Yes. It can go from bullying when you were a kid, kindergarten, playground shifts you forever. Just little acts of like observing as a kid, you create the story and you take it all with you through your whole life, not knowing. And that's why you and I, we post a lot and we try to share, post on social media and share with people we know This is, and I've said this before, NBC News said the next pandemic will be grief. I believe it. And I really want to go have a megaphone 
check your grief. It could be the grief if they can't find a relationship, they can't seem to hold down a job, they can't seem to have friends or something's wrong. They can't seem to lose weight. They are emotionally eating short-term energy relieving behaviors. I even talk about long-term energy relieving behaviors, right? Because you never give the in-between. That's my new one. What do we call that? Blurbs or something like that. <laughs> it doesn't have yeah. So yeah. It's been four years now or five. How long has it been now with your daughter? And yeah, we're coming up on six. On six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now tell me how, okay. You're into what it's like now. Mm-hmm. Like what happened? You went to grief recovery method. One of the ways you did recovery, but this one was so impactful that you decided to become a grief recovery specialist. Now you're a certified advanced grief recovery specialist as am I, which is great. I love meeting people who are in the similar path. And how did you all of a sudden find grief recovery method? So it was the same year that she died. And I remember bookmarking it. And I think it was right during a transition for, for the Institute. And so I didn't hear back and I didn't pursue it because I got scared. And I think that's why I have so much compassion for people in general, but like potential clients who want are interested and want to do the work, but either fear what that's going to look like. For me, I was terrified of letting go of the resentment and the anger. And we call it the G word in grief recovery, but the guilt, that shame piece that I held on to and all that regret, because I thought that it would lessen the magnitude of her death and it would lessen my own experience and my love for her. And if I showed that I could be joyful, did that come out to other people that I had processed it and worked through it and I wasn't sad anymore and doing grief recovery method. It shows us that all can be true. It can show that you can have joy with sorrow and both are respected and, and heard and so important in, in all of its avenues and not just those, those two emotions that some people want to battle together because it can live joy can live in sorrow and how impactful that can be enriches our lives to such a degree that I couldn't have felt that without her, without experiencing her death. And I don't like to say like, let's find the silver lining because that can be really dismissive when people are it either in a less than loved one's loss or in a abusive type of situation that there doesn't need to be a silver lining. However, if you can find the hope and the light in yourself and offer that forgiveness and grace moving forward for your own being, incredible growth that can happen. And I, I agree with you with the megaphone. I just want to get out there and like a better way exists. Doesn't <laughs> take that long. No, no, I'm like, you got seven weeks. You could do this. I will work alongside you. And I, but it requires so much heart work and vulnerability that that's scary because if it has not been respected in the past or it has not been taught or demonstrated, modeled by the adults while you're a child, by those other people that you're surrounding yourself with, that is building a new bridge right there. Yes. And I always talk about what is your snapshot? This is what we want from you. What's your snapshot right now? For me? No, I just meant people who are listening and yours too. I I could feel your snapshot and we'll talk about where you are today in a minute, but a snapshot, it is exactly where you are. The coulda, shoulda, wouldas, apologies, forgiveness, significant events that can be shared. And we suggest not to share with your loved ones, share it with someone, a trusted professional. You could share it with a peer because we have the grief recovery method book, but working with people like us, Katie and myself and any other grief recovery specialist, it's like we can look at it without any energy around it. Not that we're not feeling for you, but it's so private and it's so beautiful when you do the one-on-ones and then you do the groups, which you share with your peers. Even though we're sort of facilitating it, you're dealing with peers. And this is not a grief support group that has its place. Ours is discovery is not recovery. And we can discover all kinds of things in the grief support groups and therapy and all that. 
But we have found a way in a method that is evidence-based to get you to that other side, not forgetting, but living life beyond your wildest dreams free and being fully in the experience of what you've experienced. Inner and outward, you would be amazed at the results. I just want, I'm not trying to plug, I'm just something that's helped me and I've seen the results. So, okay. So Katie, so you discovered grief recovery method. You put it on the shelf, you know, it was conveniently, you didn't hear back from them or, you know, I believe in fate and perfect unfoldment. And then what happened? Yeah. I don't think that I was ready for it at the time Mm -hmm. either. I think that I carried a lot of anger that while anger is important and it serves its own purpose, I don't think that I could have received it in the way that I was able to a few years later. Mm-hmm. And so did you ask me now how I feel? Is that Yeah. Well, how did, okay. So you did the grief recovery method mm-hmm. and what, what was that experience like doing it week to week? And then what happened? When did you start like, Oh, something feels different. Did it happen during, I know for me, it happened. It was working me even before I started do, doing the recovery method. Yeah. I was like, something's shifting in me. I think it's because I was taking action. Yeah. On my I was, life. Certainly. I was seeing a therapist at the time and she was magnificent. And I had told her, I found this book and I wanted to, to look into it and we kind of looked into it together, but I read the book by myself. Again, I'm not a natural delegator. I like to, you know, have the control. And so as I'm reading the book, I thought, yes, this, this right here is what I, I wanted to hear for the last few years. And so I kind of did it through by myself in the beginning. And then later on, I went through the certification course and I had already had this shift, but something about the certification course, I remember hanging up after our, I had to do it during COVID. It was, I was like the second class to go through in COVID. And so we ended our zoom session And I remember dry heaving and feeling so physically ill, but not in, in a distraught or scared, sad way. It was all of this emotional energy being surrounded by so many like-minded people that I could release it finally, and know that it was a safe thing for me to do and natural and normal. I don't really care for the word normal, but as a natural and normal experience to be having that kind of severe reaction and that's okay. And once I went and did that, I'm like, I've got to get that advanced certification because I have to see people on zoom. And and actually my first one was in person. We just took the COVID precautions and it, it's just this life-changing event that in my occurrence, it was after it was kind of looking back and being reflective upon everything that I had done. And it seems like such simple steps with such a profound change. Yeah. It's like, it's what, you know, there's no studying. There's some work to be done, some writing, some exploring and things that come like questions you are never asked. I have never been asked. I was like, Oh, so it's all an inner job, an inner journey. And there's no studying. You just have to do the work for seven weeks and do your reading and all that kind of stuff. But, and I was not resistant whatsoever. And I don't think you were either. And I've had friends, somebody I interviewed on my podcast, who's a grief recovery specialist too. She was kicking and screaming all the way. And she was going to prove that it was not going to work. (laughs) I love that. Well, and then the nerd side of me that loves science, I love that they took it to university and did all these other studies to make it evidence-based proven, you know, like it's you, I try to explain to people then my clients specifically, you will get whatever you put into it out of it. Mm -hmm. If you gloss over it, that's fine. I will hold that space for you. If you don't want to dive in deep, I, I get it. I really do. And I respect you for it. And I, and I hear you. However, if you choose to dive in deep, I'm going to be right there by your side and you're going to get such profound effects, not just in grief, but it's, for me, it's changed every other relationship that I currently have. And then, and now form as new friendships today. And it's made me a way, in my opinion, better mother, because I know how to, to communicate stronger. Yep. And it's not a one-stop shop. 
it's like, hmm, I want to explore some other relationships, even though you explore other relationships, but there's this, you know, you have your main one and it's sort of nice to know it's there and you have the tools and it, sh- it shifts things that you don't even notice. So how did you change? Tell me about, and, and we're going to be ending our podcast, but I want to do a podcast on children. I think I'm going to get a couple um, grief recovery specialists on, and you'll be one of them, how to talk to children in grief. That sounds great. Um, but so how did, sure. Snapshot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really loving friend who's walked with me from that ground zero point, And she's even said that my energy has shifted and I feel it in myself. I think that I do believe that I am just a gentler person having gone through grief recovery method. And I forgive so much faster and including myself because growing up, my parents always were fearful to, to discipline me too much because I was always my hardest critic. And now as an adult, I don't think that that has changed, but I am able to forgive myself and offer myself so much more grace. And then because I explore that inwardly, I can offer it outwardly so much easier. Yes. And it reminds me of like, there's a humbleness and humility that you walk in. And those are not bad words. People have a bad idea about what does hum- humble your, I don't know, whatever your interpretation of humble is. To me, being humble is looking at the facts and also walking in the world, walking through life in humility. It's living life on life terms and with the forgiveness. And the again, it's looking at the facts. Mm-hmm. And being yeah. okay. When we do not look at the reality of life, like living life on life's terms, and that goes your terms in life, you can always shift those terms. What you've had on yourself, being hard on yourself, that's probably shifted. You may always have a little piece of that. I don't know, but you, you're more awake. Mm-hmm. There's being aware, but then there's awake with a capital A. And that's what I feel that you are. That's my impression of you. Oh, there's an awakeness you. in your physicality. Well, people may see see this um, little um, snackables that we send out. This is most people will listen to us in um, audio. But if you could see her, there's this awakeness. There's just beauty, brightness about her and which I love and appreciate so much. So thank you for sharing any last words on any of the grievers or people who are dealing with grief people who are, you have friends who are maybe in extreme grief or children who have lost, even their own children who um, have had a loss or break up in a friendship or young love. Any tips or anything on all that I've said? (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Um, And I, I think I just like to drive home the message that grief, no one had to die to experience grief. And if you sit with your emotions and truly honor and respect them, there's so much healing there just within yourself. If you push them aside, you're doing yourself such a disservice, including everyone around you. Everything that you do and you feel has such a rippling effect. And if you can offer that grace and that forgiveness and the respect of your own emotions as they come then it will ripple out and other people will find a lot of peace being around you. Yes. And people talk about, Oh, my grief is too complicated. It has so much. We simplified. <laughs> right. We it's simplified. You're going to see it's not as complicated as you think. And it could be, you know, there's a lot of stories out there with a lot more who have had more situations that may, that bring up grief and different emotions and, if you continue to squelch your emotions or not even learning to identify them, I remember early on, I didn't even know how to, how to identify them. I had a friend who was a mentor. She said, Charlene, I've noticed that it's hard for you to talk about your feelings. So I want you to give me a weather report every day. Is it sunny? Is it cloudy? Partly cloudy? Is it raining? Is it thunder or whatever? I had to start with as simple steps as that. And then I started getting those, those posters with all those different faces of feelings. I don't know if they still have them out, but, you know, do whatever you can to get in touch. And you know what? If you feel like your life is a drag and there has no meaning, start checking out what emotions are. Start I, um, 
identifying who you are and, and know thyself. And there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm sure during your time that there was a wrongness going on. I was a bad mother. I was a wrong this. I did the wrong that. I mean, that must have just, your mind must have been just swirling. Oh, yeah. Your and, to- yeah, you can only let your mind go there for so long. Mm-hmm. And we're here to help. Action. Yes, exactly. And tell us about how did you start with TikTok? Because we have to end the show soon. But how did you get in TikTok? It's so good. And it's and we'll talk about afterwards how people can reach you. Of course. Um, so I do Instagram Reels. I don't have a TikTok account, but it is Instagram Reels. And oh, it was the Reels. That's what it was. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, they're basically the same thing. And I have a great friend who used to live here. She's since moved about five miles or five hours away. And she's so funny and I love her humor. And so I said, give me the lowdown on what it is that that you're doing because I love it. And she told me, this is how you do it. Just pick an audio clip and go for it. She goes, I know that you've got it in you already. And once I kind of explored that, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I've got some dark humor pieces. My clients know that side of me. My dear friends totally know that side of me. And I just think that if you can add a little bit of relatability to such a heavy subject and not make it dismissive with a lighter content, but make it so that it's real, real. Yeah, it just is. Exactly. And Don't so put the energy on it. It just is. Yeah. And and so I like when people can identify the the different audio clips and the captioning that I will put on there and they'll say, Oh yeah, gosh, thank you. And I'll get some personal messages from strangers all across the world and they'll just be like, I appreciate you putting that out there. And in my heart, it's validating to say, This is why. I'm doing what I'm doing is because other people need to hear it and they feel supported and validated. And if the, even if they never contact me or do the work, maybe it's just something that can resonate with them and, and serve them later on in life. If you can serve one person and make a difference, that's all we're here for. Just one person. Right on. I'm with you with that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Now tell us, do you have satellite project? Mm-hmm. Sorry, satellite project. So one, one T, two L's and then spelled L-I-G-H-T project.com. And I also am on Instagram and on Facebook as satellite project. And you can find me on my website or through any of those social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn too, but I haven't totally figured out how to explore that, that option yet, but I'm there. (laughs) I know you'll do it. Whatever you set your mind to Katie. Thank you, Charlene. This is so wonderful. And I appreciate you asking me to join this incredible movement of yours and yours. You're welcome. And everybody, thank you for listening. We're all on all the podcast platforms again and again and again. Grateful, grateful, grateful for all you listeners out there worldwide. And the year of 2022, we are going to expand beyond measure. And we're taking Katie with us and everyone else who wants to make a difference in the grief space, grief recovery. We're here for you. I'm talking to you. Bye, everybody. Happy New Year. Peace and love and harmony. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we will keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash G-R-M-S forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.